You're listening to the Flex Success Podcast, where we teach you how to be less shit. I'm your co-host Lizzie, and this is Dean. We'll be covering all topics relating to health, fitness, and bodybuilding. Join us as we use our in-the-trenches experience and up-to-date science to provide you with information that you can actually use. If you like what we do, be sure to give us a like, follow, share, and tag us on social media. We are back yet again, another FlexiSess podcast, back with yours truly and Mr. Flex Coach George, my man. How are you? I'm very good, mate. Yourself? Mate, I'm well. This is kind of a weird one. I'm sitting in Valencia and you, as our UK resident, is now sitting in Australia, my home country. I was going to say it's almost like a roles reversed, except for the fact that you, I've now shifted countries anyway. But, mate, uh, how is the land down under? Mate, the minute I stepped off the plane, I was sweating buckets. <laughs> it took me long to climatize this weather, man. And literally, I've come down to Sydney, and it's like being back at home. It's pissing with the rain. Yeah. Just can't win. Well, the, the the rain there does come down much harder. I don't know if you've actually experienced it yet, but it's not like you you know if it rains in the UK, you can kind of walk around and you'll get a little bit wet most of the time, but not really that wet. But when it rains in Australia, you're like, okay, I need cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was me when I come at the airport just then at Sydney. I was like, oh fuck. Yeah, yeah. So you're in Sydney now, but you are, for those that are at home listening, George actually flew into Australia and went to the Queensland IFBB show. So, yeah, yeah. I was at Brisbane show this weekend. Fucking awesome day out for the flex athlete. It was such a nice uh, environment sitting with all the huddle of like just flex shirts everywhere. There's like 10 of us, 10 man deep sat in the um, backstage area. It was really fucking awesome. It was nice to see the quality of shows as well in Oz, which it was interesting talking to the other competitors and coaches behind the scenes uh, back show that had their own opinions of <laughs> some of the show runnings and stuff but in comparison to UK man I think the, the level I've seen is far superior in what they put in to the actual venues size of the venue money flooded into the athletes space for the athletes I know it's a little bit behind on the day but that to me is normal anyway so <laughs> yeah and I mean you picked a doozy it was like 400 entrants I think like 200 competitors in like 400 entrants so yeah, I, from memory, you know, as you know, I was sitting here at like two and three and four a.m. in the morning in Valencia, chatting to my guys uh, while they're there at the show, and it was supposed to be men's done by say one thirty, but they were really done at three three thirty. So it was just a monster of a show. You picked an absolute doozy. Yeah, because if that was in the UK, that would have been five six hours late, not two hours late. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, um, and then just for those again, you actually flew in to go to the Australian shows, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The only reason why I've come out here is literally just to tour around the shows for the IFBB this season, which is wherever our flex athletes are. Yeah, yeah. Um, so first impressions were that it was obviously a big show. Anything else come about that I think surprised you? Or... I've spoken about the standard of Oz bodybuilding before from what I've seen in the comparison to other places around the world. And I'd probably still lean on it being because of the limited amount of shows, but the large pool of athletes, the quality and the cream always does rise to the top. So it always looks like across most categories, the kind of like first call out or you know a top five are always very good, very close standard most of the time. Um, but again, I think just the population, mass number and limitation of shows is what kind of refines that, I guess. But I've even said to a few of my guys, it'd be cool to see them come across abroad and compete to see where Oz standard sits in the rest of the world. And I think it might shock a few people. Mm. Well, I mean, I'd, not to toot my own horn, George, but I did come across to the UK and win my category. <laughs> <laughs> now, I mean, I, you, um, it's, it's been good for me even just to hear you say that because I've found it to be similar, not even actually, to be perfectly honest, man, not even just in bodybuilding, but when I played football, soccer, back in the day and I went to the UK, I was like, oh, the quality of guys that I compete with is exceptionally good. But from a football standards, at least, you know, the, 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 the grassroots, the support, the systems in play, the amount of money in football in the UK just allows like, let's just say, you know, a, a six out of 10 player to become an eight out of 10 player. Whereas our eight out of 10 players just never, ever go further and beyond that because they just don't have the support. So, um, yeah, to two distraits. I mean, I think we do all right from an athletic perspective and the body, bodybuilding shows are definitely good. And like you said, because there's just fewer shows, the the opportunity for like our top tier guys to compete against each other means that they all have to compete against each other. You know, like th this Nationals coming up, man, is going to be a fucking belter this year. 
I think this is like, in comparison to the rest of the world, the amount of pro cards given out in Australia compared to everyone else is very, very little. And there's just such a big pool of athletes. I do think that's a bit of a negative on Australia's front. If they maybe gave a bit more opportunity, like the rest of the world did, that we'd probably see more Australian athletes making it into the pro shows, making it into the Olympia in the future. But yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, can't, I, I hip, um, a bit hypocritical because my opinion does say that how Oz do things is how it should be done. Like we shouldn't be giving out pro cards willy nilly, but for Oz, it would be better if they did go with the rest of the world's view and start handing them out. There's definitely yeah. some very good put on them stages. Yeah, but it's a sliding scale too, though, right? It's not like we have to go from giving out only two to an open men's bodybuilder a year to to 15. Uh, I would love to see Australia do like a a season A, a season B, and a season C because I think that like keeps the quality really high and it means that like an average Joe isn't really given the opportunity to get a pro card just by default of nobody showing up like I have seen some of the, the, the European shows. But it would also mean that those that do quite well that are like near the top in Australia they could take a, you know, a competitive season from a regionals and then jump into an overseas without having to time it really, really well. Because like right now, you know, you've got guys, if they can't get a show in after April, they're then delayed to be in shape again until October. So if we did like an April and then a July and then like a, a September, October, that would be sick because we could come in, do regional shows and then shoot off and go do some international shows, dip your toe in the water, see how you fare, have a holiday, um, you know, and, and then it would be a pretty cool little setup. But, I'm not the uh, I'm not the controller of uh, people's futures with that, unfortunately. It'd be a lot easier for bodybuilding if it was that way, eh? Mm. It's um, a shame because I was having this conversation with a couple of my first timers from this season. Like, it's not, I always, when I think about, oh, yeah, just go and do nationals for Oz. I always think about it like when I'm in the UK, like, yeah, just go and do the pro qualifier. It's only like a two hour drive away. It is like traveling and, and competing internationally for them when they come from state to state just because of the distance they have to travel and how much it costs and everything else that goes into it. I think some better, better wide, uh, you know, just a better for, a forecast of uh, venues across the country is something that also would be worth looking into, just so athletes didn't have to travel so far as well. Not yeah. more feasible for. Yeah, it is. It is tough because there's, you know, and, and especially for the Perth crew, the east coast of Australia have got it pretty, pretty lucky. You're talking like two and three hour transfers, you know, it's like that. But Perth across. And I think that's typically why they do give the Perth boys a little bit longer time as well so that they can, you know, take some time to come over if they want to. Um, but, like, yeah, like this, fuck, what was it for Tom? I think Tom Stanley, who came, you know, second in his category over in Perth, has, has got, like, four and a half to five weeks between shows because they need to get the other state ones done so they can always then get into it. But and, and then the problem is, man, some of them actually don't even end up doing their state show. They'll just skip their state show and then roll into the last available state show on the East Coast and stay for the entire week and then go do that. So then you have this one really watered-down show in preference for the timing. So it is it is tough, but what do you do? Yeah. But um, before we get into the body, we'll talk about the results, obviously, and, and recap a bit of that and maybe discuss, you know, because you had uh, Ryan in that show as well, we could discuss maybe some variability in peak weeks and whatnot because I certainly had a couple of different ones this year. But um, what's the first impressions of Australia so far? Too, you, you landed in Brisbane and, and stayed on the Gold Coast, or I know what. There's uh, so many memes about Australian wildlife now, like ah, yeah. oh, Australia, them typical bullshit memes. You see like some alien on the background picture. Like, there's a bird that walks around most of the time, but has poisonous tips in its wings, and just will randomly come and attack you if you get too close. Like, what bird needs poisonous tips? We got pigeons in the UK. That's about it, and they smell. Uh... They're Rhino beetle, I, uh, one of them was in the gym at, Jan- at Shane's the other day and he picked it up and it's like hissing at him. Like it was mm. full, full blown like cat, like it was so noisy. And then there was uh, flying bats. I was literally outside having a vape and this fucking giant flying bat thing that looked like, it was like a puppy with wings just come flying past my head. Absolutely shit me up, man. Shit me up. The, it's, it's some start to finish got here. It's just been one like tippy toe at a time. <laughs> <laughs> Always wearing shoes. Crocs aren't suitable in Australia. On a walk, I come back and my legs were bit to pieces of ant bites. Amateur mistake. Now you're lucky you didn't get any leeches or any of that. The um, so the bird with the, see, I'm gonna know what bird this is, but I don't probably don't even know that it even has poisonous wings. It's got like um, almost similar to like seagull legs, quite long and pointy, similar to a seagull body, white and black. Not a plover. Black-head. Might be a plover. That's that rings oh. a bell. We began with, I think it began with a P. Right. Plovers are notorious for swooping Australians. Um, and they get a little bit closer than what magpies do. 
And then the problem with it, so a magpie will swoop you, but it has its nest up in the tree, so you can kind of see where they're at. A plover nests its fucking things on like flat ground. So if you're in like an open space, all of a sudden you just start getting bomb dived by plovers and they make a really noticeable noise and you're just like, oh no, I'm done. Yeah. Well, yeah, poisonous birds, as if that's a real thing. Yeah. Um, Apparently so, mate. Any any big spiders, no snakes? I knew you were going to ask that. Unfortunately, I've not seen a single spider since I've been here. Right. See? No, this is good, mate, because... So, not that he would ever listen to this, but Jared Feather is he is denied going to Australia as a part of the RP crew before to give an education series in fear of the animals that exist there. He's like, I'm not having it. Like, I could die. I don't blame him. I do not blame him. <laughs> Upon being here, I generally touch wood, have not seen this. Oh, no, I'm going to say this. I'm going to wake up. There's going to be a huntsman above my head or something now. But yeah, I haven't seen a single one. Before, and that is the one fear that I actually truly have. But I mean, if you would have ever have seen a, a, a spider or a collection, collection thereof, it would have been at Shane's place because, and I think he's on the back of a reserve or whatever it is. He's got like a bit of bush around him. Like that's that's certainly a place where you would have typically have seen spiders. I'm surprised they weren't in the gym. Didn't see anything. Nothing in there. He must be running a tight ship with regards to you know insect control there because yeah. daddy, daddy long legs are pretty, pretty much typically everywhere. You don't actually see hunting and stuff that frequently, so. Ah, yeah, that's all right. Well, my fear was I was going to come over in spider season and they was going to be hanging across the top of the walkway. Yeah. I don't know if we have one of those seasons. <laughs> I think they just exist forever. It's <laughs> uh, gold. Um, <laughs> any other first impressions thus far? Obviously, it's hot, comparative to where you were, but not too much different, I wouldn't imagine. I wouldn't want to live too far out from a city centre if I moved here. Very big open space, a lot of driving and commuting to get to different places or even just go and get food and stuff. It's always a, a bit of a drive away. It's not very easy accessible. Mm. Oh, what about supermarkets, mate? Have you been into Woolworths or Coles? I've been into Coles or Woolworths yet. Haven't you? I generally haven't yet. No, I was really lucky. Shane was literally, uh, Shane and his uh, wife were literally prepping meals and doing stuff. So I literally had it all there on hand. That's amazing. Uh, that that would be uh, that is one that thing that I actually thoroughly enjoy in every country that I go to is just wandering the aisles of the supermarkets, like some little kid in the candy store on Christmas morning. Like, oh, what do you have? For example, the, the one that's close to us currently now in Valencia, this is the only available sugar-free monster that they have. But now, where the you original, stand on the flag? Well, I expected it to be Red Bull because all of the originals were Red Bull, right? And it's kind of Red Bully, but maybe a bit sweeter and a little bit less tang. It's actually pretty nice. I get the OG original sugar-free ones, one of my favorite ones. Yeah, it's that. Yeah, I market. I take it back. I went into a Seven Eleven. I know it's more of a like American Aussie kind of thing, not just an Aussie predominant. But that let me down massively. Everyone in the UK has an idea of a Seven Eleven being this magical supermarket that's full of loads of treats and shit. It was dead. Seven Eleven in Australia is legitimately a, a shitty convenience store. Um, yeah. It is made for just chocolates and lollies and. Uh, usually they have it, like a tiny little bit of Krispy Kreme. It, it, then they're terrible. In Japan, however, the greatest convenience store you'll ever go to. Yeah, that's where the difference is. Um... In Japan, man, you have a cold drink section and a hot drink section that sit parallel to each other with no border, except for the fact that whatever backs them must be warming and cooling them. So you can literally go one can hot coffee, second can cold coffee. And you don't know until you kind of put put your hand in there and you go, oh, this is the warm section, you know? There's obviously colours and stuff. There's no crossover. But surely the ones that are close to each other will get some kind of heat crossover. They're cold and they're hot. It's you know, And you can get like onigiri, you can get sushi, you can get ramen, you can get, uh, there's a bain-marie there with like soups in it. You can, you can work from there. They have desks. You can print, uh, work from there. They have printers. Um, you name it, man. Seven Eleven's got it all. The hilarious thing, though, is is that I just laugh is because you know, whenever as a as a bodybuilder, there's never a time where you're not like uh, protein, carb, fat. This is kind of like what I'm trying to hit in this somewhat of this meal, you know. And I'd be like, all right, what's an easy carbohydrate? Cereal. And I could never find cereal in in Japan in these Seven Elevens until I went to the confectionery aisle, and that's what they classified it as in Japan. Yeah. And I'm like, probably probably a fair uh, representation of what this food actually is. Yeah, <laughs> loads and loads of sugar, especially the American yeah. stuff. Yeah, man. So, but mate, um, 
podcast today just to sort of do a bit of a recap on the weekend. We had, a, like you said, a, a pretty incredible week as a, a, a group of athletes with Flex. We had seven athletes, seven podiums. Pretty fucking cool. It was awesome to see Matt Easter next to Josh, finally. Yeah. Behind that. Yeah. That was really cool. Every single person in the crowd was behind that battle on the day. That was sick. It was such a good environment in the uh, venue, man. Yeah, on the live, it got real loud when Maddie came. I mean, it always does with the Supers because Tony also hypes it up. Actually, how did, how did you find Tony as an MC? Uh, he was decent, man. He threw a couple of jokes in here and there. It wasn't too... He didn't do too much talking. I feel like he, he kind of got the right amount on the day of jumping in, having a sly comment here or there and not. It was pretty... What's the word? Reserved, I'd say. Right. Did he make any comments about Queensland being bogan pot, pot smokers? Not that I heard. Mate, <laughs> this might be his first. Usually he's, because he's from Melbourne. Melbourne think that they're a little bit more superior to Brisbane, as do Sydney, right? And then Sydney and Melbourne kind of like buttheads as to who's better. And almost every show I've ever been to with Tony, there's something like, now guys, it's probably because I run behind. It's usually like, now guys, we're going to take a break at one thirty. Now, you Queensland bogans, that doesn't mean you can go out and smoke weed and come back late. You know, we need you back here at two o'clock. <laughs> and I'm always like, this has to be an Australian thing to like really drop the professionalism for a moment in time and just abuse the people that you're trying to, you know, entertain. But it's always done in the nicest way possible. There was a couple of moments where he ripped a few people on stage. I'm assuming he'll be a bit better than just a random guy who's just, just competing. Probably not with Tony, to be honest. He's a bit like that. He just shoots from the hip, mate. You know? Oh, wait. Make everyone laugh. Like, I've even heard him say things like, look, now, guys, you've done all right here, but you need to come back in better, you, you come back in better shape next week, you know, and then you'll do a lot better. We're like, thanks, Tony. Appreciate it. Mate, it's odd. I don't need to speak to the judges now. Yeah. So um, let's just recap the results real quickly. We had um, Ryan did two categories or three. Two categories. So you got top call out in the first in novice bodybuilding and then second in the light heavies. Yeah, which I think Josh won that novice, didn't he? So another super heavyweight. Yeah, that, that novice, novice funny novice class, man, seeing Josh and a couple of very big boys in it. And novice is tough, man, because you come up against a like a definitely not an amateur. Well, obviously an amateur competitor, but not an amateur trainer or like a you know beginner trainer. It's it's a tough category. I'm I'm always a little bit like hesitant with novice. I'm kind of like it's nice because you could kind of stand next to some really cool dudes, but it's also like there's no parameters around like consistency of you could be up against a 110 kilo guy, which in this instance, I don't know how much Josh weighed. He's obviously over 102, but, um, and you, then you had Ryan in the under 80s. So, like, you know, you've got a, a dude who's like 100, 70, 78, 79 around there. Mm, yeah. But then Ryan came back into the under 80s and took out second against uh, like a world season dude by the looks of it, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was uh, he won the Masters. The guy beat uh, Ryan in the over, uh, under eighties. Um, yeah, I don't want to pass too much judgment on that one. <laughs> man, the feedback the feedback that I saw was really good of Ryan. And like to be honest, man, um, I, I was I was lucky enough to coach Ryan quite a few years ago, and he's an absolute workaholic in regards to his capacities to get shit done. He's one of those true bodybuilders that just says, "No worries, mate." You know, I know it's not, I know it's not a game of uh, who's got the most. Uh, drama and adversity on prep but you know coming out the back of his wife's surgery newborn in the house job he didn't miss a beat man and i pushed him very hard uh, and mm. i still i still he's still not moaning man and anything we uh, i say yes do got to get this done how high how fast how far <laughs> yes no how many times you want it done he's, he's on point every single time it was nice to get the feedback the condition like the things that we needed to improve to improve the place and the things that realistically me and Ryan both know our off-season jobs like we need to bring up more balance through the lower body change that disparity between the upper lower uh, and address a little bit of that gyno in the off-season but they're all mm. things that we can't do national so my plan is just to bring something absolutely disgusting in regards to conditions that they can't really ignore him that's that's my aim that's all we can do with the time frame yeah I also man I'm also of the opinion like you can't grow tissue in the next three weeks right so then it's always like, all right, well, what is another box that I can tick where I can just be undeniable in regards to saying I achieved X? And the one thing that will never, ever, ever, ever be not be credited is condition. So it's like if someone said to you, holy fuck, you were peeled. Once you get bigger, you'll be good. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm down with that. But there's nothing worse than being like, oh, you need to be a little bit leaner and a bit bigger. Like, God damn it, I missed both, <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
of them things could have definitely been null and avoided. The other things are time question. Mm, yeah. So, but man, he um he absolutely blew his previous showing out of the out of the water. So, compliments to the chef, I will say, in regards to you, your <laughs> job there, man. It was, I was, and it was like just a really really nice experience for me just to watch that sort of prevail over the over the weeks. Just going, oh damn, Ryan's getting peeled, and he has some really cool like wacky insertions like with his delts and into his arms and. His back is good. And I'm just like, fuck, this is a cool look. Like, so props to you, both. Is how thick is erect? Because after he left you and did the powerlifting and he's kind of like off season before coming back to me, what, however much deadlift he was doing, whatever it's done has re- blown his erectors to pieces. They hang further out than the glutes at the top of the glute max. <laughs> and so they come out like the, he almost looks like the lats run underneath them and the erectors are over the top. It's stupid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's he's that was a, a really, really uh successful prep. So I'm keen to see this next three weeks. I'm sure he'll be uh in the hole to a certain degree again and uh just doing what Ryan does best. Already heaps leaner. It literally took two days. I was like, Oh shit, fucking yep, that's what we like to see. So then what's the plan then? So if you get someone like that who's obviously like very lean already, needs some more size, uh, and they've still got probably a little bit of a room left in that weight cap, even from a loading perspective. What's the uh plan for you here with regards to food and outputs? So coming off the back of peak week, I think, well, I mean, the, the difference in trial peak to this peak was phenomenal. We took another 800 gram of carbs and on the day was not really fully loaded. Like we was having a fun game, keeping him topped up across the day, trying to keep GI in check. So at the back of this one, I knew we, I knew realistically with the, with how hard the, well, sorry, how different the peak week had been, how much harder it was to load him. Realistically, he was probably still leveraging on the average by the end of it in a deficit, which would have left him with a bit of compositional improvement, which, you know, two days straight after peak. He's not lost a shit ton of body fat in two days. We've just seen that kind of backlash of the, the reward from peak week swinging the variables. Plan now is just to keep fatigue as low as possible, move the back into the deficit appropriately, not too harsh, not too stupid that, that we can end up battling it at the other end of it because we've done most of that work now. Um, so no no additional expenditure or cardio, steps kept consistent and stabilised, deficit created with food and then the reintroduction of Seclenbutrol in the meantime. Um, but that's literally it. Just, uh, I think look, 500 total calorie deficit, just very light, very benign from where he is. Yeah. So is he on less or more food now pre-peak week? By about 100 calories up. So it's pretty much yeah, consistent. Cool. Pretty much. Yeah, just a little slight escalation up. And then you think it, now it's just going to be a matter of managing it every week. There is also a difference in macronutrient setup, digging into show. We was close to a, a PSMF. Mm-hmm. Coming into coming at the back here now, he's got quite a moderate split between protein, carbs, and fats. Mm. Oh, mate, that would be so nice for him to eat, comparatively. Yeah, a lot. It's, yeah, the body's responding so much better to it as well. Yeah. Plus, you have the added advantage. Obviously, the stress of show is gone now, so now it's fun. And, and man, it's even greater for someone like him who's in a position where like condition was good, size is the thing you need. Like he's like, all right, cool, I can't fix that now. So let's just enjoy this the next few weeks and just get peeled. No, it's nice to have that honest reflection from him, me and him communicating and both being on the same page. So it's not like he's or in the down and in the dumps or a bit knocked back from base and all the result. He's come mm. back with it exactly lit and keen to fucking get gnarly us glutes. Yeah, man. Um, that'll be cool. So who, is he going to do under 80s and just the nationals? Yeah, yeah, just uh, under 80s and. Yeah, no, they don't have um, first timers would be done, wouldn't they? Yeah, they they give it to first timers and they keep novice. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, we'll do novice and under eighties then. Yeah, nice. Um, other guys that day we um we had uh, Josh Phillips crossover from the WBFF. He just recently become second in the WBFF universe. I think it was the universe. I always get them mixed up as to what they call things these days. Uh, but he shifted over and he's taken on men's physique. I'm going to publicly say this now. So if he does listen, everybody else does. I'd really love to see him do classic. Um, I hate seeing fucking sick legs in shorts. I'm, I'm very happy now that the IFB are shifting the shorts up two inches. If, if, if like if they're now like officially two inches above the knee, because you do get to see a bit of quad. Um, and his, his legs look unreal on stage for a men's physique guy. Oh, not even for a men's physique guy. I didn't mean that offensively, but rather they just looked awesome and on a men's physique guy. Um, so he ended up taking home second in the open. So he just went straight into the open, skipped the novice first time and all that, just went straight in. <clears throat> and um, feedback for him was pretty much just to continue to work on um, presentation because he realistically only posed men's physique for like two weeks. So just, you know, not super comfortable. Um, there was a couple of back shots between him and first place. 
And granted, I'd still lean towards Josh being the better overall package, a better athlete, but there was a couple of times in his posing where he did get overshadowed. Mm. Yeah, so that that's the goal for us for him. It's just refine that, get comfortable, continue to get this that tiny, tiny bit crispier. We don't have to do anything silly with him either, man, because he's pretty much there. He's a, he's a pretty fast responder with regards to the deficit too. So he actually came in at a relatively similar weight to what he did for WBFF, and that was... Shit, man, I think we had five weeks and we really only decided to do the IFBB show at around about three weeks out. So he had, you know, a week and a half of kind of just eating freely to a certain degree in America and training around and enjoying himself. Man, put back on about four or five kilos and we pulled that back off again in the last three weeks. So <clears throat> it's going to be a, a, an interesting three weeks for him. I'm super keen to see him taking, uh, hopefully take a, it'd be absolutely sick for him to, to shift over and take a pro card straight away. That would that would be a, a real treat. Um, we had... Um, also, we had George and Ryan both competed in the under-90s, which was really cool. Um, yep. Both, again, great feedback. George, we knew, was coming in just a little bit less sharp than what he was the last show, but he was significantly larger. Um, and he'll come in still significantly bigger now. So his, his goal for us in the next show is he came second in the under-90s and Ryan came third, respectively. Uh, George is just going to be pushing down to the deficit again, just getting that bit sharper. Probably come in one or two kilos lighter, but... Um, once he's sharp, man, that rear double buy and rear, rear lat spread of his is undeniable because it's just so fucking pretty. Even his rear relax shocked me when I saw that on stage. I was like, yeah, that's a pretty, that's a pretty posterior chain. Yeah. And he's, and he composed, man. His posing routine was sick. Um, I think for him too, it was like one of those things where like he hadn't really ever, he, he's just come out of juniors essentially, like not long ago. The last show he did juniors and under 90s. And he did under 90s at the Nationals uh, and took a top three, oh, a top five. I can't remember where he ended up. And um, but he was he was on the lighter side of eighty three kilos. You know, it was really, we had him at about eighty eight there on the weekend, and um, he really uh, held his own from a size perspective. So, for a young dude, man, this time it's I think he I think it was maybe I don't know if he, he doesn't really get nervous, George, but there was maybe a little bit of nervous there just jumping into the open straight away, and it's just a little bit uncertain. Um, and usually has like a lot of charisma and like a, a, like he really just fucking loves being on stage. Like he's a bit of a performer, so. Uh, I think we'll see that return now. He's sort of got that that uh, fire lit again and knows he's within in striking distance. So that'll be really cool. Ryan, we're actually going to, uh, at this stage, unless unless he absolutely just does not look better pulling down, we're probably going to suck him down into the under 80s. Uh, because I think I think in the under 80s, the size that he will have with the detail that he'll have by the time we get in there will just be undeniable. Um, and credit to Ryan. He's he's always just to me, He's he's like your Ryan, actually. Funnily enough, he's just a yes boss kind of guy. Um, so, um, and then who else? We uh, we had Matty Gall do exceptionally well in the. Um, although Tony kept calling him Matt Gorey, uh, Matt Gall he he <laughs> he won his um his novice um uh, classic and then he jumped into the opens and and won his class and that which was fucking cool. Um, maybe have to say the best arms on the day. I'm going to call it. I'm going to call it Matty Gall's arms, uh, uh, arms that I wish that I had. Um, I think it was a fair. Say you. Fair statement. <laughs> oh man, that classic pose. I, I don't even know what it's called. You know, it's called the one. You know, the old school. Is, what's it got a name? Like the crane? Is it the crane? Uh the yeah. Arms yeah. Off, yeah I, I just I call it the Arnold one because that's what you always used to do. But yeah, maybe the crane. I think. I'm... Yeah, I call it the Arnold one too. That pose, man, on him just looks mad. He hits a bit different to what the traditional is, but it just looks mad. So um, his is just going to be refinement of posing too, I think, man, to be perfectly honest. Coming a little bit sharper. We, we were a little bit behind on Matty for, for whatever reason, and we we, we we pushed him hard the last few weeks. So he, his was a very different peak week uh, approach to, to what I would typically take in that it was really just a backload. It was a, a fairly significant backload, tidy up for one day, get in on show day and see how you fare and then determine the approach thereafter for nationals. And thus far, the feedback has just basically been, he looks sick, coming a bit sharper through posterior chain and you're good to go. So I'm like, cool, that's that's a time game. We've got that covered. Um, and uh, who else we had? We obviously had um, Jaden then in the, in the under 102s, uh, which was a really cool win for him. Um, he's been pushing into that sort of category now for like the last few years and, and often, for some one reason or another, I'm not sure, JD almost always gets left a little bit on the side, but he's one of those bodybuilders, man, that compares very well when given the chance. But if not given the chance, can kind of just get lost in the group. Um, and they brought him into the middle this time, and that's when I think it was just like one of those things where we're like, ah, 
he's, he's actually very good, you know. Because uh, he's kind of like that granular art, like, uh, like sort of like nasty look. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was actually one really interesting thing for me watching. Um, a client of mine, Taylor Crabtree, he prepped a, a young fella, Morgan, I believe his name is. He did classic. Oh, yeah. He was, uh, for anyone that was watching there, they might think like, you know, why do people miss out on certain shows? Like, why wasn't this person looked at? Sometimes it's just who you first get stood next to that gives you the opportunity to either not be seen or to be pushed to the side. Um, we saw this in the Olympia with Samson and Rami. You know, everyone sees Rami as this monster. And Samson at the time of that Olympia was certainly uh, somewhat of a talk of the town, but definitely probably wasn't a, a talk for the top five to top 10 sort of range. But by default of coming out next to each other, Samson got the opportunity to stand next to the best, which he maybe never would have gotten the opportunity to do so in the comparison. And everyone went, oh, shit, you know? Um, and not to, not to liken Morgan to Samson or anything, but when he came out for his initial category, uh, it may have been a first-timers or a novice or something like that, he kind of got just put next to someone that, for whatever reason, didn't really do him any service. And the guys in the middle did very well. And then he came around for the opens and he actually got stood next to the same guys that beat him that he never got compared next to. And he absolutely dwarfed them. Mm -hmm. um, so sometimes guys, I think it's just like bodybuilding is tough, man. It's subjective. The judges really only get like a, a very quick opportunity to say, oh, that person looked good, that person looked good, especially with the numbers that we have at that Queensland show. Let's see who that guy looks like. And then when they stand next to each other, they're either going to look great or they're, maybe they don't you know, get the chance they want. So um, I don't know if you were in the crowd at that time uh, with, with Taylor, but I was texting him and saying, like, man, this this category for Morgan, he's going to do better than he did against the guys that he did in first times, which is, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I was, I was watching when Morgan was up there. He, when he come out for his – he kind of come to laugh a bit when he started posing. The more he posed, the more he worked on stage, the better and better he got. When he come out for his routine, he looked fucking ace. Mm. Yeah. It, it was just a weird one when they're moving him out to the side so much. I would have thought with that structure – that would be quite unique that would be an eye drawer on stage for the judges but same thing as you said if you get left towards the edge and you don't make that first appearance yeah fade off yeah and, and this is like, how could you how could i have lost to this person in this category and then 10 minutes later won against this person and not necessarily because you got better or they got worse it's just for whatever reason as unfortunate as it is sometimes you just don't get the look um you know i really like the 30 second introduction um, posing around that the IFBB do for like the Olympia. And I did it also in the um, the UK show that I did where you, you get the opportunity to come out first, do 30 seconds, show all your best poses, you know, hide, hide all your worst ones. And then they're like, oh, that's good or that's bad or that's whatever. And then they're looking for you to compare versus coming out in numerical order. Maybe you get lucky, maybe you get unlucky. And then, you know, that's maybe what happened to Morgan in that particular instance. But shout out to Taylor and Morgan. He looked fucking awesome. Um, and then uh, last but not least was Big Maddie Took the overall, took the over 100s, transferred from, the again, the WBFF, first time back on stage in about four years. Blew the cobwebs out. Um, he looked way fucking bigger on stage than I expected. I don't know about you. The whole day, the whole day everyone was looking at Josh, the whole day everyone was looking at Matt, and there was this constant, like, hush-hush, under, like, underfloor, like, backward talking. Everyone was like, oh, who's going to win? Is it Matt or Josh? Like, who's taking it? Who's taking it? They're both fucking monsters. When they stood next to each other, I was stood at the back, right at the top, looking down. When Matt walked out next to him, it was a completely different size game. Completely mm. different. Until they stood next to each other, it was – well, when, once they stood next to each other, it was lights out. <laughs> yeah. Again, another another um, asterisk for that concept of bodybuilders that stand next to bodybuilders are different than bodybuilders that stand on their own. You know, yes. You see this all the time, man. Like some guys just look unreal until they stand next to somebody, and then it's like, oh, um, not to su suggest that. It's just that Matt gets highlighted when he comes in because he's like, what super has that size waist? I mean, fuck. Actually, to be fair, what super? Josh is exactly the same. Both of them tiny ass motherfucking waist on dudes that are over hundred. But there's um, there's just a look that you can never uh, really ever talk to until you see it. So, no, completely. Matt's a bit of a stressor, isn't he? <laughs> no, never. Ah, uh, no, not me. No, a lot of internal pressure, I think, from that. Um, I mean, definitely. It was his and first I mean, competing. 
Well, this it's not even it's like uh, to be fair, like you know, we're not talking about athletes to the uh, notoriety of Olympians. We're not, but you do have a guy there who came into Australia, went into like his first season of shows at WBFF. From what I understand, got his pro card straight away. I saw him at that show and thought, why the fuck are you at the WBFF? That guy's a bodybuilder. Then he went on from there to win universe titles. Um, and then he's had a hiatus since. He's quite popular online. People know who he is. And, you know, there's four, if, ever since he, he'd won universe titles, everyone was saying to him, do IFBB, do IFBB. And then when he and I started working together, everyone was kind of like, mm, Dean doesn't really coach a lot of WBFF guys. And they would hound me, is he going to do IFBB? And I'm like, I cannot say, you know? And he was like, I'm not sure, you know? So there's been a, like, a, a, there's literally been probably a good two-year builder to, to Matty officially, like, sort of saying, I'm doing the IFBB. Um, so there has been certainly a lot of internal pressure. And um, he's not somebody who fat loss comes easily to. It does initially, but in regards to getting that last bit off, which is, again, the feedback for him is just to get leaner through posterior chain. Certainly some, you know, some presentation things to improve upon with that posterior chain posing as well and not feeling so hyped up and stressed and cramped and all that kind of stuff in, in your poses. But fuck, man, like the dude has to grind, you know. So it doesn't come easy and he knows that condition is necessary because you can't hide under smaller trunks in the IFBB What's either. that grind look like for people listening? Uh, how low did Matt's calories get for someone of that size? 2,200 calories for five five to, to 10 day to 15 days at sometimes periods. But not only was it 2,200, there was also about 400K cardio being done a day and about 15K steps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so when, when you see the level of an individual of that size and that muscularity, how hard and how far into the deficit they have to push, I think it puts some context for people when they start looking at the calories going close to like the 1,800 mark and they're going, oh, I should be eating this low food. Well, you weigh up the deficit calories, the expenditure on Matt, it was probably close. Yeah, like, big... for, for reference, just so some people, even this, my experience has been as a coach over the years that typically the, I don't typically have to take people beyond 15K steps and no cardio. And usually their calories will stay around about 25 times their body weight per kilogram. So if we just take a hundred kilo individual, usually they're like sitting around 2,500. There are obviously differences to this, but I'm talking just general averages, right? So 2,500 calories for a 100 kilo individual doing 15,000 steps and no additional cardio. Matt was doing like 22 times body weight, 21 times body weight, 15K steps and an extra 40 minutes of cardio every fucking day. So he was 20% lower in calories and upwards of about 30% in, in output. Um, you know, it is what it is. So it's what it is to get. Yeah, so for him, we've got a slightly different approach coming out of that now because I think like there was a lot of uh, associated stress with the event, and I think that in, in itself will just ease off a little bit of the pressure here with regards to getting lean. But um, we're going to dig him even harder than that, but we're just not going to do it as well um, because yeah. the, the fatigue accumulation for him at that kind of level is just too high, and we've also pulled some of that output down. So we're not going to drive so much output fatigue. Uh, we're just going to rely a little bit more on the diet and he's just going to suck it up hard for five days at a time and then get a bit of relief and then suck it up hard and then um, come peak week, see what we can get done again. We pulled four kilos of fluid off him the night before the show um, with, with the protocols in play that we decided upon collaboratively and uh, and then also obviously me steering the ship. But the look from from Saturday night to Sunday morning was crazy, the, the amount of difference that we managed to achieve with that. So... It was just a matter of holding the look. Now, now here's another interesting one for them too. He was very different even on show day to some of the guys. I'd be interested to know, you mentioned before with Ryan, 77 kilos, and you said it was difficult to keep him topped up on the day. What did food look like for Ryan on show day? So it started off with the cream of rice meal in the morning. We then had uh, rice cakes, jam, salt. But the rice cakes didn't really sit too well with him on the day, so we reversed back to cereal and jam. It was just a constant stream of topping up jam, cereal, where we needed to. There was probably two two to three bigger feeds across the day uh, with just intermittent snack of carbs as every time I was going, shit, you're flattening out again. If you were to take a punt at how much carbs went in, would you be able to? So on his trial peak, it was pretty close to 30, 30 gram of carb per kilo of body weight. It was close to that on the trial peak, about 2, 450. And mm -hmm. this time around, 
Okay. And then on show day, you reckon? Uh, when you say 3-2, is that over the course of the peak week entirely? Yeah. Yeah. And it's then show... Yeah. What about show day? How much do you reckon you got in to keep him full? I would say close to four or 500 gram of carbs to top him up. Yeah. Yeah. So for for a reference point here, again, like, you know, we're talking about Ryan being under 80, needing about 400 gram carbs on that day as well. Maddie, we had him on about 200-ish grams of carbs for show day. He pretty much just sipped on water to thirst. Um, well, he got that's actually not true. He got in about two liters initially and about three grams of sodium and whatnot. But to to hold his fullness and just keep him like snug and tight and digestively in a happy spot, he was pretty much just doing like two or three rice cakes at a time with a little bit of jam every now and then, um, and just trying to relax and chill. And I think by the end of the day, he would have got in just about three hundred gram of carb. Um, uh, and so, you know, a, a relatively similar amount, I think, for 30 kilos worth of additional mass. Um, and this is the beautiful thing about coaching and about, uh, you know, each person. There's a, there's a lot of individual variability with regards to people in peak week. So, um, you know, just uh, again, for reference for some so that people can, I suppose, appreciate the the detail and, and whatnot. Like I've, I had I had Matt pretty much doing like somewhat of like a two day washout period. So he's somebody that requires about two days worth of less food to sort of get into where he needs to be from a fluid balance perspective. Um, I had Jaden essentially just loading the night before very heavily um, because he was grinding all the way in to try and get a bit more fat off. Um, and then I've I've you know I've got Mike Dawn this week doing just a linear load like he's literally just topping carbs up every day a little bit more 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 and then eventually we'll just there'll be a period where we go you don't need more or you do. Um, you know, some guys are like a little bit more at the front, a little bit more in the middle and a little bit more at the end. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's a fun game, this man. Just half of it. Sorry, we're free, free. Uh, well, Ryan's was completely different to Corey's this week. And the guy who I'm peeking for, uh, Wes into this show, the Natty guy, Lee, his is completely different again in approach, like complete flip-flops everywhere. They, they wouldn't even look somewhat comparable. Yeah. What, what do you think? What is the greatest variable? that you think in a peak week, like most people are getting carbohydrates, but like, would you say it's a, a major variance in the timing of carbohydrates and then how long they require to sort of like dry out and wash out? Or I would say the glycogen uh, retention of the individual is like the biggest benefactor or the thing I see despite the, the, the biggest direction I take with any of my athletes is how fucking long does this cunt stay full for when I give them some food? Cause that's <laughs> going to decide the initial approach of my front load and my back load and my kind of linearly loading for the week and just plan it by ear. I think glycogen retention is probably like, yeah, that's the main thing for me. Yeah. So make- I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd probably agree with that. Um, I, there's always, almost always a period somewhere within the week that I'm going to have fats in and fats up. Uh, but so that's pretty consistent with most people. It's just a matter of where it situates, but it's usually dependent on the carbohydrate load, not dependent on the timing. So, right. So that's, as that, but yeah, man, I, I still find it incredibly interesting that I can have a guy put two kilos on eating 500 grams of carbs. And then I can have a guy put nothing on eating a thousand grams of carbs, you know? Yeah. Yep. Uh, and I think we touched on this in the last big week discussion we had, so I won't touch on it again, but that variability is the, the biggest one that I think people need to really get a, a, a grasp on, but not even so much get a grasp on it in understanding the capacity of how much carbohydrates you can consume, but divorcing yourself of the emotion that you need a lot of carbohydrates to get full. Because that's what people fuck up the most. I think is that I have to load. And I'm like, but if you look good on 300, that shouldn't you, that doesn't mean you get 600, you know? Yeah. We always, whenever we do a peak week, we always forecast it of, you know, we're trying to get you as maximally full and as maximally dry as possible. I think reframing that to be, no, we're just trying to achieve the best look on your physique as possible. Wherever that lands is probably a more accurate phrase of the goal for the week, as opposed to trying to fool you maximally and dry you out as hard as possible. Because one person's peeled and dry look doesn't always support the best uh, visually. You know, some people yeah. prefer to look like. Well, J- Jaden's a good example of this. Jaden, um, we know for him when he goes flat, he just looks shit. But we also know for him, just because he's a fucking asshole, that <laughs> that when you get him full, he gets fluidy as a motherfucker. Like, yeah. he's, a, he's an absolute prick. Jaden, fuck you. No. Um, it may, so, like, his is like an interest. It's all about timing the the amount that you can put in him before he goes sideways or again, like you said, how long does it take for him to go flat again? So we've, we've actually like Jaden's a man. He's in, I've, I've done every different peak week with him, 
but usually it's like one of two kind of strategies. One is that we load him like really fucking hard on a Wednesday. And then by Saturday, he looks really good, but we don't, we can't do too much work between Wednesday and Saturday because he's hyper responsive to getting training based information as well. So you need to like fill him, spill him, but then give him a lot of time or you need to deplete him till he goes to a pancake and then fill him like a motherfucker really late. So that then by the time the Saturday comes around, he looks great. But by Sunday, oh, catch, you're, you're, catch, you're catching the fluid, bro. So like even this, this show, you know, like he, he got down about one Oh one, we loaded him. And then on show day morning, he was actually, we loaded on him about it, oh, man, I can't remember the number. It was somewhere in the vicinity of about 1300 grams of carbs. I got into him on Saturday. Right. And he was a, uh, you know, 101. So like pretty much bang on like the load numbers that you would expect someone to get in on, on Sunday morning, he was only up one or two kilos. You think, Oh, all right. So like not too bad on Monday morning, he was 106 to 108. Yeah. And then <laughs> yeah. Wednesday today, he's still 108. And you look at him, you're like, man, some, you just look like someone just punched the fuck out of your entire body. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's super interesting individual. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's understanding that, that, when can you fill them? When do they spill? How long does it take for them to come back to normal and then and picking your poison? So, and, and like you said, man, I'll I'll reiterate that. I think that's a great a great line for you to to, to Richard to, to sorry to um to touch on again is that a peak week is not about how full you can be. It's not about how lean you can be. It is what is the best look that you can achieve by combining all of these you know considerations together. Hundred percent. Yeah. So, and uh, yeah, I think I think that's going to be an interesting one even for um my client Joe who's doing the IFBB elite show here in uh, here in the UAE in a few days because that poor dude today is on bird food he's on 700 grams of food he's eating you know whey paste at this tonight while he's on the flight to keep his weight down he's got seven liters of fluid in by 4 p.m to try and drive diuresis and by the time he gets through to tomorrow it'll be Thursday he'll weigh in I've never seen him go flat I've, I've had him on I've had him on 1700 calories for 10 days and he just doesn't go flat so like the question most people then would be like load the fuck out of him Thursday. But I don't think he's actually gonna need it. So for him it's not gonna be about being maximally full. It's just gonna be about yeah, like putting some back in and then refining the look as time goes on. Um how's this an interesting one? I'd like your opinion on this. So in the IFBB elite, if you're in the classic division, <clears throat> if you can't pull a vacuum, you get disqualified. What? Well, there you go, IFBB. You've heard it here first. If you can't pull a vacuum, you're not classic. Yeah. Mad. I didn't know no, it. I... It's crazy. Really? Uh, what, what are the criteria or the exclusion criteria for being a vacuum or not being a vacuum, though? Because I can see some open bodybuilders pull a half vacuum that looks pretty good. Yeah. I don't know if we can answer it. Now, imagine they're like, now turn sideways. We need to measure the distance between your rib cage and your umbilical and determine that, you know, the, the, the how far that goes in, like. That's weighing. They get on the scales. They're staying straight round for a tape measure. Pull a vacuum. Yeah, the ratio. But yeah, I didn't know that until he told me. He's like, "Are you going to load me hard on show day?" I was like, uh, "I don't normally, you know, like normally I try and keep GI as small as possible on show day for everyone. Like, there's no one likes to bloat a belly on stage." You know? Um, and yeah, he's like, oh, "I have to pull a vacuum or I get disqualified." I was like, "Fuck." <laughs> what are the, the criteria must just be like Arnold. That's what that's the look they're going for. <laughs> I suppose they have to do something different to the pro league because otherwise, like you know, what is the differentiation? Kind of like WBFF, you know. Yeah, be interesting to see who who comes to the uh, forefront of the WBFF uh, style of competing in the next coming years, given all of the drama. I put my money on WBFF Australia or that counterpart stepping up to the plate. I hope they do. WBFF, I've always had a very strong opinion about WBFF and not really wanting to bother wasting much time in that space and it will, mm. from America's influence, because of the way I've seen the shows run, the bias in the in the Federation was just not something I wanted to be involved with. Since seeing WBFF Australia, I must say my thoughts and opinions about WBFF massively changed from seeing how they run it in Australia compared to the rest of the world. They're very different. Mm. Yeah, it was always a very difficult um category of athletes to prep because i'd always be like you we have no criteria for what you're supposed to look like so do i get you peeled or like what what is it and then the the solution would be oh well here is the current best be that person but then that person was only the best in that country 
because this person in that country is very different. So I always have this conversation with the client, like, would you rather come in peeled and lose or come in a little bit off and be told to be leaner and lose? And they're like, I'd rather just be peeled and lose. Like, because at least I've, I've ticked that box, you know? Like, um, And like, I know like Jazz, Joe Jeffrey's wife, really struggled with the concept of like not coming in as peeled as IFBB bikini for her WBFF debut. And um, because she's kind of like, like, I'm not dying into this. This is a, a huge mindfuck to come in what you classify to be under your best. And yet it was heavily rewarded. She got a broke up. Like fucking props to them for nailing the criteria that doesn't exist, but kind of does, you know, like it's, it's yeah. super tough. But mate, any other final Good comments day. on the Australian comps thoughts? Just you the fact are... that W give us a bit more leeway on the percentage of input we have as a coach. 40% is not enough. <laughs> yeah, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? Jesus. It's that 50, at least 50% yeah. of the say. No, man. Very impressed with the show so far. And it's only going to keep being more of the same. Good venues, really good quality athletes. So I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of it and how national runs as well. I'm keen to see nationals on the day. Yeah. Will you only make it to the men's one on Saturday nationals, you think? Yes. Yeah, I'll yeah, probably only yeah. be in the men's. And if anyone's there, obviously, you know, pull George aside, give him a tickle. I think I said to you that last time, but he's always keen for a chat. Um, I don't know. Do you want do you want to um, throw any requests out there, George, for somebody to bring you something? Should they feel the need to surprise you with a gift? Had a sausage sizzle, sizzler, sizzler, sizzle, whatever you call it. Yeah, no, sausage sizzle. Sizzler is an actual eatery, but. Well, no, sausage sizzle. Then. I had my first one, bread and a sausage. Simple, easy, effective. A square bread with a long sausage? Yeah, yeah, square oh. bread with a long sausage. Did you have the sausage diagonally or down the middle? Right, so first thing I did was straight in the middle because I'm from the UK. No. And like, I, I looked around the table and saw that there was a, a way to do things that I was not doing. I was just Neanderthaling <laughs> it a lot. Put it diagonally and you fold it into a little taco kind of pinch. Exactly. Yeah, it's not a bow bun. It's... <laughs> Uh, that is, isn't it? Like, I've never, when you, you know what? I've never even considered putting it that way because it's all I know. It just, it, well, yeah, because I just bit both ends of the sausage, it was just a sausage sandwich. Like, yeah, but then you have too much bread to the sausage. You see, this is the beauty of the, the diagonals. The diagonal thing is every time you bite, you get a little bit of bread, a little bit of sausage, and then you have a decision to make do you just continue from tip to tip or? Do you eat the ends with a little bit of bread and finish with more bread? So you get to choose your bread to sausage, sausage ratio. I like the thought process that goes into this because I was leaving the little point at the end and then having the bread just to finish off the last mouthful. Yep. There's a, um, for anyone that likes a bit of comedy, if they look up on YouTube, Ivan Aristagueta, he's a Valencian and he, and then type in Bunnings. He does the most hilarious bit on the Australian sausage sizzle at Bunnings. Uh, which is like a like a warehouse of um, like tradesmen's tools and stuff. George, they do sausage sizzles there all the time to fundraise, and mate, it is just too good. Did you have um, barbecue sauce or tomato sauce or ketchup on that sausage sizzle? I swapped and swapped uh, one on one, one on the other, with or without caramelized onions. Uh, caramelized onions in both. Good boy, good boy. So, to put a bit of coleslaw in one of them. Ooh. Very good chef. That's a very bougie sausage sizzle, mate. <laughs> mate, oh, I'm just a man. I just like to cram things into a sandwich and see what I can get. Uh, was this a, was this Shane's thing for you? Is that you gonna have a sausage sizzle? I so I mentioned it. I think the night before, and then li I literally come out from work and I was, there was a load of sausage on the side. I was like, oh, sweet. That's so good on the old barbecue. I don't know. Actually, I was um, I come back in from training. And they were just cooked and done, ready to roll. Amazing. Amazing. It's a five-star review on TripAdvisor. Oh, Shane does. <laughs> Props to Shane Girdlestone, mate. You're a legend. I'm so glad you had a sausage sizzle. I wonder what else. Is there anything else that someone could surprise you with? I mean, I had my first Tim Tam and... It's better than I, a penguin, right? It's way better than a penguin because it's got like a little salty to it. Did you have and an original? I had an original and a white chocolate. Mm. Both were top tier. Very good biscuits. 
I would I would highly recommend that you try the caramel one. That's definitely a good shout too. And then if you're a more of a cream or biscuit man, depending on your preferences, there's actually a double uh, Tim Tam where you get double the cream to the same amount of biscuit. I can't even remember what like it's called. Stuffed Oreo all the way. So yeah, I'm down for that. Yeah, you got to get the double then. And then um, I can't remember what it's called. Someone's going to you know shout me out for, for that. If uh, Liz has not explained the Tim Tam slam to you, then you need to get on board that as well, uh, which is basically as an English man who should be into drinking tea, you take Absolutely. the Tim Tam, you eat off opposing corners, right? And then you dip the corner that's bitten off into the tea and you suck. And it's called a Tim Tam Slam. And the hot tea goes through the cream. Feel like bang in. That sounds like a smart move. Yeah, man, that's good. Mate, um, what's the time there for you? Uh mid quarter past midnight. Is it? It is, yeah. Mate, all right. Let's wrap this up with some fun stuff. Less shit tip. Um, what is that? Okay. Um, competitors on show day, your worst enemy is going to be stress, which means that it could be anything from an emotional stress, physical stress, psychological stress. The best thing you can do, plonk your little ass down on the floor with your legs slightly elevated and just sit back and relax. The hard work is done. Do as you're told. Don't ask. Don't like come out with like nine million and one ideas of who's, who's doing what he's doing this i should be doing this just focus on what you're doing what your coach tells you to do and keep yourself relaxed don't run around don't try and do too much or get caught up in the excitement yep that'd be my beautiful day. i um i would i would second that tip it is incredibly useful the more you can do that and i think it actually aligns with the discussion we had before about the difference of someone being compared to somebody else just remember, somebody standing under lights backstage isn't what they look like when they stand under lights on stage. Because I've seen some dudes backstage where I thought, holy fucking shit, I've got zero chance, and they've come third or fourth. So, you know, back the backstage look is not the onstage look. Um, my be less shit tip would be for people that don't have a coach and are a little bit uncertain when they should get ready for like a pump up or when to time food. and They don't really know how the show's going from a timing perspective. The simplest thing you can do is basically take one or two categories that are on multiple categories before you count how many people that are in it and then count the total time from when they start to when they finish and then give it an average time per person. So like you might have 10 people on stage and it takes 10 minutes. So you know that if the next group is 15, it takes 15 minutes. And then all you need to know is like how many people are in the category prior to you. And then the one prior to that, if it's X amount of minutes and that's when you want to start, then you just go when under 90 start is when I start. Don't worry about all the rest of it. That's just the simplest way to subtract your timings and you're good to go. Um, something worth sharing, George, I'm going to take this one today because you are the man that I'm going to share. And that is that anyone that is uh, still going through peak weeks right now, who doesn't have a coach or is coaching themselves and is uncertain how to go about their peak week, maybe wants to refine it. Maybe wants somebody to take over it and give them some, uh, you know, a stress-free run into peak week as we've just spoken about. George does do uh, one-off peak weeks uh, that includes a consultation, then the plan and some follow-up work. Uh, so if that is something that interests you or you would like, all you have to do is just go through our quick links uh, that's on our Instagram page um, and through to the consultation, book in a consult with George, and then he'll tell you all about that. That is my something worth sharing. And last but not least, uh, we couldn't have a podcast without at least some of Liz's influence. She left us just as we started the Tom Versing today, George, and she's provided us with the, the be uh, sorry, with the would you rather. She specifically asked if you have a brother and a mother. Well, she knows you have a mother, but a mother that is alive. So the question is as follows. Would you rather, George, passionately kiss your brother for 60 seconds straight, including butt grabbing, or passionately kiss your mum, including butt grabbing? Oh, Silence. fuck. I'm going to have to go with the brother because the mum's just too weird. Yeah. It's a- we could get past that. A couple of beers, one night around a fire. We just... <laughs> that's, a couple of Tim Tam slams. Oh, perfect. Yeah. It'd be a real sausage sizzle then, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> You've ruined that. You've ruined it for a meal for me now. <laughs> oh, fuck. Man, I'm not answering that. I'm glad I was the one that got the chance to ask you because, I, I mean, I'd have to take, I'd have to go with the same. And then the follow up for me would be which brother, and that one I'm definitely not going to answer. <laughs> Either way, I'd manhandle the both of the little bitches. No. <laughs> Mate, 
Any passing words from my Australian friend that is now you, George? Fucking oath, yeah. On that note, that- everyone. Yeah, <laughs> I'm slowly getting the Aussie lingo. I'm slowly getting it. <laughs> no, mate, it's been a pleasure as always. For those that are listening at home or watching on YouTube, thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. Obviously, we appreciate a share, a like, a, you know, a comment, whatever you can. Um, and if uh, anybody needs us, you know where to find us, all on our socials. So, peace out. All the best of the rest of the show, George. Enjoy, the, enjoy them. Cheers, man. Looking forward to it. Yeah.